live from the center of Omicron, the Kazakh government, the cabinet resigned, air quotes, you wanted video, you got video everybody, welcome to 2022, cryptos are crashing, teachers are injecting 17 year olds with vaccines, the LAPD shot a 14-year-old girl killing her as she was trying on a dress for a quinceañera. The broader indices, especially tech, is selling off. Gold is back below 1800 A whole hell of a lot to get to. I am Gerardo Del Real, along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. This is episode 151 of the most appropriately titled podcast on the planet, Bizarro World. Mr. Hodge, Happy New Year. Welcome to 2022. Happy New Year, Gerardo. It's uh, a bit tough to hear you with the mask. I think we can all relate to that with the uh, muffledness that we have to hear from everybody (laughs) these days. So I wanted to be in the cool crowd because, you know, I see these um, bored apes uh, giving interviews and people talking about NFTs and cryptos and their um, laser eye masks and, and things like that. So... Um, I figured I would come masked to this first video uh, edition podcast of Bizarro World. And not only that, but, um, you know, we talk about collectibles and inflation and money in the system here a lot, too. And there was uh, two things. One, there was a collectible uh, Incredible Hawk uh, comic that sold for 460 uh, or a little bit more than that, $1,000 in this past week. In the same week, Eminem bought an NFT, a board ape NFT, for uh, around the same amount, half a million dollars. And so uh, just to kick off, I guess, 2022, a little bit of fun here with uh, the mask and to tell you that uh, continued uh, high asset prices in both uh, collectibles and uh, NFTs, which I'm sure we'll talk more about. And uh, with that, I'll take the mask off and, and, and we can get into a bit more serious note here. No, listen, let's get into it. And so I'm, I'm wearing the mask and I say live from the center of Omicron because my 23-year-old uh, traveled last week and brought me home a gift from New York. <laughs> he came back positive for COVID. I don't believe I have COVID. I have zero symptoms. He's vaccinated, double jabbed. Um, he had symptoms for a day and a half, maybe about four days ago. So he's he's back 100% all well. Everybody else is doing well. Um, but yeah, you know, I think it's just a reminder that this is going to be the new normal for the next little bit. And, uh, you know, everybody's picked sides. Everybody has their own opinions about getting vaxxed, not getting vaxxed, the government mandates, everything else. Um, this is the new reality, right? This is what it is. And look, the broader indices are starting to reflect that a little bit more, especially in the tech sector. The NASDAQ has fallen for three straight days. We're recording this now on Thursday. Y'all ask for video. You're getting video. Um, so it's, 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 it's going to change a bit here moving forward, but I'd love to get your thoughts, Nick, on the broader indices, and then we can get into commodities here in a second. Yeah. You know, caveats, of course, um, we, we don't know a lot. Uh, this is our therapy session. We talk things through here, kick around ideas, and, um, and we'll be excited to see each other face to face. We're actually having a holiday Christmas party. I guess it's a new year party now in uh, Austin, Texas this weekend. And so we'll be uh, good to get everyone there. And like you say, everyone sort of got their own uh, approach to this. We had uh, some employees who, who aren't coming and some who are all gung-ho to come, even though 
Um, you've been recently, you know, quote unquote, uh, exposed or what? Exposed! Ex- exactly. And so <laughs> I think um, largely the world is, is starting to, to move on, is, is, is wanting to get past this virus and is um, seeing that this Omicron variant is, is mild. And so in that respect, uh, they, they want to move forward and are seeing that, um, you know, vaccination is a way to do that. I'm not sure the markets are going down because of the the virus, uh, you know, there's a couple of other things going on here. Um, you know, you had Jerome Powell out last month talking about uh, hawkishness, like he's going to raise rates. And then you also have um, uh, growth slowing in a real way, right? Um, the last year, uh, people were calling for uh, crashes and the stock market to go down. And, and I was saying it's going to continue to hit uh, new highs because GDP was coming off a level that was so low from the previous year, which was a lockdown year. And so I think what the market is starting to price in now is that the economy is not going to grow at that rate. And that might be um, exacerbated by, uh, at least temporarily, the reaction to this Omicron variant. But in a, in a very real way, you know, Omicron flare up or not, the economy wasn't going to keep pace uh, with the growth that it put in last year. And you, you match that up against the Fed, who was talking about raising rates in the face of, of slowing. And uh, you get what you've seen in the market, I would say, going back to, to Black Friday, right? When you when you sort of had that sell-off and we were talking about things are changing, there's new market wins. Um, well, I think you're seeing that the, that's the firm direction now. And we were also saying that we were waiting for the new year to see what that direction was going to be because the end of the year is low volume and things like that. And so I think you're starting to see the market price in some of those things I just talked about there. The CNBC headline, and it made me laugh, right, is the Fed is scaring markets with the triple threat of policy tightening. And I, I, I mentioned Omicron. I'm glad you picked up on it and the economy, because I think the Fed is going to be as consequential <laughs> to the, 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 the asset classes that have been inflated for the past, you know, since 2008, frankly, as, as, as Omicron is right now to most people in the way that they process it. That being that most people are just moving on. They're either in the camp that they're getting vaccinated and boosted. They're willing to catch it and not be vaccinated. They're calling it a cold. They're calling it a mild flu. But whatever camp you're in, everybody kind of has their approach, I think, here moving forward. So I don't think that the Fed threatening to tighten and raise rates is going to be very consequential. Because I promise you, if the market, the overall indices continue to slide and we get another 5 to 10% pullback, You'll get an about face just like Powell did it last time. He, he did it last time, and, and we saw exactly what happened. More fuel to the fire. If there's something Powell and Yellen are afraid of, they're scared of the stock market going down. We have midterm elections at the end of this year. We have a, a lot of very consequential political events that I think also won't give the Fed much room to get in there and tamper. And I think the excuse is going to be, we don't meddle in politics, and it won't be appropriate in light of the midterm elections coming up to raise rates too quickly or to do so in a way that's meaningful at all. 25 basis points, maybe 50, possibly. Um, but then I think, again, I think the market will remind J&J who's in charge. Yeah, I think it, it, it already is to some extent with the softness in the in the equities. If they raise, uh, like you say, a quarter point or whatever, um, I, I think the market response will be clear. And so, you know, that's what I wanted to talk about a little bit today. And so um, it's very paradoxical and that's appropriate because this is a bizarre world, right? So um, last year you had 
Um, the Fed's thumb on the scale, keeping rates down, telling you there was no inflation. Meanwhile, bond yields were <laughs> ripping higher, right? And now you have everybody on the inflation bandwagon, the Fed talking about uh, raising rates and bond yields starting to go the other way, right? And I was writing about in December how the, the, the inflation herd was here and the contrarian me was thinking, you know, uh, this inflation narrative is, is picking up a bit too much steam. And I want to parse that out a little bit because, you know, that's not a sell commodities call and that's not a bailout of everything call. Look, copper projects working off a $4 base is much different than a 2 or 250 mm. base, even if Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a, a disinflation period or a period where commodities don't continue to scream higher, right? You're working off a new base level. And so that's one point I wanted to make. The other point I wanted to make is that while inflation was was ripping last year, gold didn't do shit. In fact, gold was negative for the year and um, cryptos were the, the, the beneficiary of that uh, inflation. Here in early 2022, you're getting a bit of a flip there. Bitcoin was at $42,000. Uh, we talked in recent weeks about how gold was showing strength uh, well north of uh, 1800 I know it's below that now, but I think uh, you're still getting a bit of uh, musical chairs as the markets get the new year uh, under their feet. And I think this pullback in gold is quite the opportunity, right? Added uh, to Wheaton this week, for example, um, put on a trade in a, in, a, in a Mexican developer that you and I are both familiar with initially for tax loss, but uh, mm. gold tailwinds wouldn't hurt that uh, stock one bit either. And so um, that's sort of how I'm thinking about the markets here. The question always, of course, is how long does it last, right? And so I, I don't know. It's sort of we're still in a Fed market. You, you mentioned the, the initial raise and the, the potential to raise four times. Um, I haven't sent my issue out today, but I'm calling it the doomsday clock, right? How many times do the how many times <laughs> does the Fed want to ring the bell? We'll see. Wait, do you want to put my mask back on, Nick? Oh, no. The fucking doomsday clock. <laughs> Uh, we have to talk the 10-year, right? I've long been someone that watches the 10-year as an indication of, you know, institutional capital rotating in and out. And I think, you know, the spike that we've seen to 1.73 the last time that I checked today, it's been it's it's, it's been a pretty solid move. I'd love to get your thoughts there. Nick. Like I just said, I think it's going to show the Fed who's boss. And I think it's going to be the opposite of what the Fed is trying to do. So I think it's going to fail to to break out. It's not that's been the level or that was the level yep. six months ago where it, it backed away from 17175, whatever it was, and then pulled all the way down. I'm not looking at the chart, but one three or wherever we were at the recently. Yep. And so, um, yeah, I think it, it, it's not going to continue to, to go higher. And that's why I've been, you know, writing about things like housing and why I was just talking about gold. Look, if you've got rates falling, um, better for gold, obviously, right? It, even though the dollar is a, is a bit uh, stronger now, I think you're getting uh, shorter cycles. And I think that um, you know, rates at the end of the day or the bond markets are much bigger and control things more than people uh, think or, or want to understand. And so um, if those rates fail to break out, I think gold is, is looking much better here. Sounds like you're saying hard assets and the softness in hard assets are transitory. I think so. <laughs> I absolutely agree. You hodling still? Saw the Bitcoin drop to 42. Thought about you. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm still hodling. I haven't even actually looked into the account. I don't mind the short-term fluctuations. I haven't uh, been trading it yet. We're saving that sort of for crypto cycle, which is soon to launch here, which I uh, obviously have to plug again. And yeah, no, I think uh, the long-term uh, adoption and, and place for cryptocurrencies and blockchain and the economy is clear. I mean, uh, 
we've talked about El Salvador and its implications globally on this podcast. Um, <laughs> somebody was saying this uh, <laughs> today that they should host uh, the El Salvador Open for tennis and then Djokovic can, <laughs> he can get in to go play. And, and those are serious implications. I was thinking about, um, you know, Mr. Dines had uh, his, his, his forecast issue out recently. And uh, one of the big themes was about how for the past uh, several hundred years of civilization, power has moved uh, westward, and how he, you know, one of his forecasts is how power is going to move southward in the, in the new millennium or century, or however you want to frame that. And so that would make total sense for you know uh, African and South American company, uh, South American countries to um, you know gain autonomy using cryptocurrency and, and have their own um, uh, global tennis tournaments. But that's neither here nor there. Um, yes, I'm still I'm still holding and. All sorts of things I'm still learning. I mean, Chris Curl was writing about uh, Phantom this week and, um, you know, why that was strengthening even as there was softness in Bitcoin and Ethereum because it has advantages over the Ethereum blockchain because it saves on gas fees and stuff that's well above my pay grade. But um, those are the nuanced takes of someone who understands the market, just like uh, what's the phrase? There's always a bull market somewhere, right? You got uh, Bitcoin down at 42. Well, guess what? Phantoms are in or whatever it is. And so... Um, those are my thoughts on, on, on the crypto space currently, I think. But I would add one more thing, and you know my saying, uh, it's going to come true eventually, is the, the soldiers for the gold army, right? The <clears throat> crypto soldiers for training for the gold army. And there's a lot of money uh, that came out of that space. I see all these articles on CNBC and Bloomberg about millennial millionaires and these uh, people that made all these millions of dollars trading cryptocurrency. Well, that money is going to have to go somewhere. And I've long said that they understand inherently the uh, investment case for gold because it's a similar investment case for, for cryptos, right? Uh, uh, you know, limited production, um, insulation from, from currencies, transparency, etc. And so... Uh, anyway, I think they're well positioned to put some other profits into gold, especially if it starts to, to catch a bit here. I will say gold doesn't always jingle its bells, <laughs> but when it does, it jingles all the way. That would be nice. Six, seven thousand year track record, folks. Hard to argue against that. Backtest that a little bit, right? <laughs> That's a long time. <laughs> It's a long time. Um, you mentioned geopolitical uncertainty. We have to mention Kazakhstan, um, the second biggest Bitcoin mining hub, I believe. And again, crypto's not my expertise, not my area of expertise. Um, but I believe that <laughs> banks going offline, uh, the internet going down, 18 police officers killed, a couple beheaded, allegedly, according to the AP. That probably had something to do with the volatility that we saw with Bitcoin earlier this week. Obviously, a delicate, delicate situation out there. Wish the best to everybody. You and I had a conversation earlier in the week, and you mentioned how it was ironic that higher energy prices were the, the, the kind of match that lit the Molotov cocktail, right? We, we, we've spoken about that on this show before. And um, unfortunately, I don't see a quick solution that's sustainable um, when it comes to higher energy prices in areas like Kazakhstan, they're sitting on huge reserves, but the government is so out of tune with the people and you see it in the response. And this is why this escalated, right? It's, it's, it wasn't something that anyone foresaw. Um, we now have a Russian led peacekeeping force, hmm. um, that that's on the ground there. Good luck with that. And I think that, you know, 
2022 is going to be an extremely consequential year geopolitically, right? We've seen the rumblings. We've seen everything that's kind of led up to 2022. We talk about fourth turnings here all of the time. I know that's U.S. specific, but it's really happening on a global stage right now, isn't it? I mean, you know, the, the time frames are different, but the, the cycles are the same and the, the human lifespans are the, the same. And so the 20 year generational turnovers are uh, similar and carry with them the similar traits. And so uh, yes, it is global, and, and, and the book covers it in other countries as well. But you should recap uh, what's happened a little bit before we get into the, the, the uranium side of things in Kazakhstan, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, look, the bottom line is um, liquid natural gas prices, you know, nearly doubled. There was an increase in those prices that, that you know, the government quickly did an about face and said, okay, 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 okay. we believe you. You're not going to just sit down and take this. And what's ended up happening is the people, the populace, the citizenry has said, well, that's not the only thing we're upset about. And, you know, like anything else, I'm a big you know, believer in energy and like energy attracting other like energy. This has escalated to the point where, you know, police are being killed. Protesters are being killed. Um, the cabinet was at, <laughs> resigned. Mm. The right? Kind of like the peacekeeping. Yeah. yeah, the government stepped down. And so, you know, there are no there is no centralized group that is causing the rioting and the violence. There isn't a list of demands um, from the citizenry. It's just an expression of I'm pissed at government having their boot on my neck and we'd rather die or kill than continue to pass that down to future generations. And again, I think we're gonna see a lot more of this in 2022. Unfortunately, I've been, you know, not preaching, but I've been advising for everyone to take precautions uh, just on, on, on a family and individual level to protect yourself, because I think it's going to get it's going to get more volatile. I, I don't think this is the end of this. Yeah. They, you know, they see a lot of that their natural resources also exported right um, uh, to China, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. So you have the Russian, the peacekeepers there. I'm wondering how much the Russians are the supply chain protectors more hmm. than the uh, more than the peacekeepers. And I'll be interested to see how that applies to uranium as well, because, of course, that's what uh, everyone in the uranium space is wondering. I think the spot price jumped three or four dollars just um, yesterday. And so I haven't seen anything specifically with disruptions to uh, uranium production. Of course, they're responsible for a large portion of, 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 of global uranium production, something like 40 percent, I think. So. Um, We'll have to take that as it comes, but it definitely shines a light on the precarious nature of the uranium supply chain. And if you're a, if you happen to be a utility uranium purchaser, you have to have a little brown stain in your boxers. Um, if you're watching the news this week, wondering where your uranium is going to come from. And so I don't take obviously pleasure in seeing what's going on in Kazakhstan, but um, you know, it's sort of like the saying about, you know, luck is preparation, you know, meeting the circumstances or whatever. And part of the uranium bull thesis was always that the supply chain was precarious. Right. And so um, you can't exploit labor um, and exploit the circumstances of, of ex-Soviet states to produce at some market prices forever. Right. It's not sustainable. And so um, this is just all part of the, the uranium cycle playing out. You can't, of course, predict when uh, catalysts like this are going to come. But um, the, the overall thesis was that relying on countries like Kazakhstan was uh, unsustainable at the prices that they were uh, producing. And so uh, it's going to further flame what had already kicked off late last year. I mean, uh, before the wind came out of stock sales across the board, uh, 
this week, uh, uranium stocks were ripping to start the year. I mean, incredible volume, double-digit moves mm-hmm. in a day. And so we were back to screenshot days, right? We talked about that a couple of months ago. And so um, a lot going on, a lot to keep tabs on, and um, I think a lot to play out still in the uranium market. A lot going on. There was a story pivoting a little bit uh, that I was going to bring up last week. I didn't want to end the year, um, you know, on a down note. So I I, I skipped it. But we have to talk about it because now Los Angeles police has released the video from a fatal shooting of a 14-year-old girl who was in a store in a dressing room trying clothes on. A 24-year-old asshole walks in with his bike and a bike lock and starts hitting several customers, including women. The police is called. The store manager asks everyone to evacuate or or take cover. They're, of course, assuming, likely, that it's an active shooter situation because, hey, we're number one. We're America, right? So we do better than anyone in in, in the world. Um, And so police are called. And the cops come in, they see this guy with a bike lock. He's not armed. There's a a, a female victim that was bloodied. Um, He's not reaching for a weapon other than the bike lock that's in his hand. And an officer felt that that justified three rounds, two, two, three rounds, which if you know your ammo, Nick, that's, that's assault rifle rounds that didn't fire his handgun, didn't use a taser didn't try to corner him or isolate him to make sure there wasn't a threat. So officer fires three, two, 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 three rounds into the gentleman who dies, the asshole that dies. Um, and one of those bullets ends up shooting, hitting, killing a 14 year old girl who was trying on a quinceanera dress. And so just a, a heartbreaking story, man. Um, it's something that, you know, you see a picture of this young girl and, you know, me coming from a Mexican background, you know what a what a moment, what a milestone, a quinceañera, and how exciting that is for a young lady um, to finally be going and, and, and trying that dress on and getting ready to turn 15 years old and celebrating with loved ones. And to be doing absolutely nothing wrong and end up dead is tragic. But the way that it happened, Nick, that should not have happened. There's no way anyone can justify to me outside of the guy being armed the attacker being armed and, and looking to fire at officers justified three, two, two, three rounds. It, it, it seems excessive to me. It's under investigation. Um, the only reason we now know the amount of shots and the fact that a rifle was involved is because the video came out. Right. And again, if the video doesn't come out, we never know it was an assault rifle because you and I were looking last week when we were going to talk about it and we couldn't find the number of shots. We couldn't find whether or not the guy that came in with the bike lock had Another weapon, a gun, no, no, no weapon was found out on him other than the bike lock. Um, and we, again, we wouldn't have known that, that, that three shots were fired knowing damn well, and the cops should know damn well that those rounds, of course they can pierce a sheetrock and, you know, lumber and all the stuff that goes into to, to a retail store. So, you know, condolences to the young lady and her family. Um, yeah, just tragic, man. Just tragic. And again, unnecessary. Didn't have to happen that way. Oh, man. It was a tough one to to read about and see. And I was looking for the details, too. I actually didn't know until you just said it, uh, how many rounds were fired. And if I would have guessed, 
I would have thought it was going to be a lot more actually. So I thought they would like went in there with guns blazing and there was errant rounds straying. Um, and that's what killed this young girl. So this is, it's nuanced. And I know there's not a lot of room for nuance these days, but, um, I, if I had to, you know, we like to prognosticate what the, the results of some of these cases, right. Um, uh, We've done that with a lot of recent cases involving uh, police brutality and uh, death and um, um, Kyle Rittenhouse. We were talking about why he was going to get let off. And so I guess that's the perfect segue to say that nothing's probably going to happen to this police officer. I would say that, you know, the way they're going to not even just frame it, the way it's going to come out is this gentleman had a weapon. Uh, the police officer hit him with two out of three rounds, which if, if you know anything about police shootings, it's actually pretty good. Six, <laughs> pretty accurate. Yeah, 66 percent is pretty good. So um, I don't know why he went right for the rifle. I obviously don't know all the details, but it's 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 fucking terrible. And so what I would say is that it points to the broader response mechanisms that police use in the, in the United States. Cause there was another case this week yep. and I forget the city. It might've been Houston. You might know better than I do where there was like a 24 or 25 year old police officer who was responding to a case that he wasn't going to solve. It was like a carjacking where the, the, the yep. carjackers had already fled on foot. Like they weren't going to catch him. And this guy's driving 80 miles an hour with one hand in traffic and ends up yep. running over somebody. Mm. Right. And so, like he's in Grand Theft Auto. Or well, that's video that's game, what right? I'm going to point at, and so that's yeah. why I was that's why I was thinking there were more rounds involved in the in the in the Los Angeles one, but there weren't. But driving 80 miles an hour with one hand uh, to a case where you're you're likely not going to apprehend anybody is definitely irresponsible, and so. I hope you can see the nuance and the and the difference of those cases. There, both could probably have been uh, approached differently. Uh, you know, hopefully the the gentleman who was driving the car that struck somebody, um, you know, is, is held accountable in some way because uh, he was definitely driving uh, irresponsibly, and so um, it's part of the 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 culture of, of policing in the United States and part of the whole debate that's been going on, frankly, for, for years now. And these cases um, are tough and they all have their uh, own individual details. And unfortunately, uh, especially in the case of this uh, young girl, lots of uh, collateral damage that's tough to see. I'll say this, a life is a life, right? Yeah. And we just talked last week about, or two weeks ago, about the trucker that was also driving irresponsibly, mm. also driving 80 miles an hour, whose brakes failed while he was doing so, ends up killing four people. Um, and this guy got 110 years. They're, they're, they're after a petition was signed um, for a review on the case because of the way that, that, that the law is structured, um, the, the, the governor stepped in and has said that they will review the case. And now, now they're hoping to commute that down to 20 or 30 years. Let's see how much time the officer that was driving 80 miles an hour with one hand to a case he wasn't going to affect or solve. Let's see how much time, if any, he gets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see if there's if there's any follow up. It'll, it'll of course, you know, just disappear from the uh, the headlines as it all too often does. But we'll try to make a note to follow up on it, and of course, we'll document the the ongoing cases and then reflect on them here as we do. Speaking of irresponsible. <laughs> Did you read about the Long Island High School science teacher? Uh, only on the notes that you put on the sheet before we started recording. So, so you'll, you'll love this one. I have questions. I, and I haven't seen a picture of the teacher, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll pull it up later. Um, Laura 
Russo, a biology teacher at Herrick's High School in Searingtown, um, was arrested after authorities say that she gave a coronavirus vaccine to a 17-year-old boy, even though she wasn't authorized to do so and didn't have parental consent. That would have been enough to piss me off as a parent, right? That would have been enough to, 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 to upset me. The part that I'm questioning is, what was the 17-year-old doing in her home? Oh, that's where it was? Because that, that's where it was. Um, her home in Sea Cliff, which is a village on Long Island. Um, and so, you know, the vaccine injection is bad enough if I'm a parent. <laughs> but what the hell is my 17-year-old doing at the 54-year-old science teacher's house, whether it was for a vaccine or some other kind of picker-upper? Mm, a little experimentation. I'm curious to see where this one goes as well. Um, 2022 <laughs> is not disappointing thus far. We thought 2020 was going to be it. You know, the batshit crazy of batshit crazy. 2021 didn't mess around, right? We had January 6th almost immediately, first weekend. And here we are first weekend a year later. Um, and it looks like we're in for another crazy wild 2022, crazy wild ride in 2022, I should say. So, yeah, stay vigilant out there, everybody. I wonder why she had to get so close to him, uh, Gerardo. Um, <laughs> we don't know how close she got. Yeah. Um, yeah so, <laughs> now, I'm not making light of, you know, what looks like an abusive situation, but, um, yeah. Uh, a little more on, on Omicron, I guess. So, um, you documented your situation. I told you I had it uh, in, in early December. Uh, oh, hold on, hold on. You said Omicron. Hold on. Oh, you got to put the mask on. I'm going to get closer to you. Make sure it doesn't come through. So when 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 we got it and my kids tested positive, they had to close down the, the pre-3 uh, preschool that my, my daughter goes to, but not the kindergarten, which is in the same building because the pre-3 is considered a daycare and the kindergarten is considered a school. So... Uh, you start to get into these arbitrary sort of rules, right? They had to close down one class, but not the other one. And so this was before like Omicron was everywhere and it was the highest transmission rates of the entire pandemic <laughs> and everyone was getting it. And so fast forward to this week, right? My kids are finally back in school. It's after their quarantine and then after Christmas vacation. So they haven't been to school in like almost a month. Um, they go back to school on Monday. Tuesday, we get an email. The principal's infected. Um, oh, he won't be in school <laughs> later that afternoon. We get an email. Um, someone in pre three, the preschool has been infected. We got to close down the, the preschool again. Um, and we're like, fuck, we haven't been in school in a month. Here we go again. But here's the funny part of the, and, and the part I wanted to point at. So you're already arbitrary because they're closing down one class in the school, but not the other ones. Now the, and you already know the, the CDC rules, which we've talked about five days, uh, masks, just mask if you go out, negative test, whatever. Just do what you want. Do whatever the so, fuck you want to do. So now <laughs> it's like they're saying in order to return to class, you got to have a negative PCR test. Um, uh, but if you can't get a PCR <laughs> test, just like do one of the just do one of the rapid at home tests. <laughs> and if like if you can't get one of those, just like wait five days. And so you can see how this is sort of just like in real time becoming um I don't know. I don't want to. Endemic is not the right word, but um, a thing that we just uh, move on with. Right. Like 
I can't see them closing down school every other week indefinitely, right? And you're starting to see repercussions of that around the country where uh, cities are having remote learning again, right? It's, you know, we can't, I don't think, keep doing this. And so uh, that's one thing I want to, to keep an eye on going forward because, um, you know, the overcautiousness and certainly the draconian actions of the government and the, the vaccine lockdowns have been uh, too much and have not done, as I've said multiple times, look at the transmission rates and, you know, mask mandate states and non-man, non-mask mandate states. They're, they're similar and the, and the virus still spreads. So um, anyway, we're going to we're going to keep an eye on this. And I think people are just ready to get back to it is, is my sense of things. So. Well, I'll be fine to see you again this weekend. So uh, we're definitely ready to get back to it. Here here in Texas, so our, and tells you how it's, you know, really a state-by-state state approach, right? That's completely drastically different. So here in Texas, my 23-year-old tested positive. Our 18-year-old who's home from college tested negative. Um, our youngest, we couldn't find a test. I couldn't find a test. The wife was able to find a test, but she won't get her results back until Monday. <laughs> so at that point, you know, our oldest won't be contagious anymore because he's been back for almost a week. And the school district here for our youngest, for our 13 year old says, if you don't show symptoms, you have to come to class or it's not excused mm. regardless <laughs> of exposure. So I mean, <laughs> this is not going to ever be solved with, you know, plug and play approaches. Um, it, it's just not going to work that way, folks. So whatever you believe as far as vaccination or not vaccination or herd immunity, whatever your favorite approach to this is, the current one is not going to work because viruses don't just kneel to government because government hopes the virus kneels. Um, my favorite approach is uh, what my favorite approach typically is to life and many other things. And uh, that's a lot of common sense. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. Nick, what are, we, uh, what are we excited for this coming week? I know we talked some stocks. We gave some awards last hmm. week. I know we talked about being excited about me being really excited about Patriot Battery Metals. That's had itself a nice week. I talked Hannon Metals last week. I thought that was going to be, you know, a, a top stock in 2022. That had itself a really good run in the past week, up some 50% before, you know, a 10% pullback today. But again, um, there's, a, there's a lot of money to be made out there, Nick. And what are, what are you excited about in the market? Uh, what am I excited about? We've, we've, we've mentioned some of our top stocks recently. I mentioned Palomina. They've got uh, assays that we should get this month or, or next month. I'm excited to see what uh, they reveal. Um, I'm excited to put some safer money to work. So longtime followers mm. and readers will know that um, I had given some money to uh, a manager last year <laughs> I, in the last week of the year. I've taken that money back. And so I've got to get that, um, you know, uh, money into the new accounts and, and start deploying it, which I think will be fun because um, that's what I would call like a front end thing. Right. It'll be for foundational profits and it'll be you know, like larger companies and funds. And there's uh, plenty of opportunity there. So I guess. Um, at the bit of sounding a bit mundane at the start of the new year, I should remind people to do the start of the year things, right? There's like um, tax savings that you can easily get by putting money in an IRA. If you're going to buy stocks and invest anyway, you might as well save some taxes on it. And so um, I'm excited about doing the, sort of some of that check the boxes, get ready for the new year stuff. Um, 
And then what else? I don't want to talk about everything I'm excited about. Um, there's some psychedelic stuff that's shaping up pretty nicely. Mm. The cannabis stocks, which we've talked about multiple weeks in a row, have started to uh, bounce up nicely as expected. And um, we'll see how this Kazakhstan thing uh, unfolds. We're involved in a uranium company that's just been acquired. And so that transaction will come to a conclusion and we'll be trading in a new vehicle. Uh, um, I'm watching all those things. What about you? You sort of said. Excited for, all, excited for all of it, right? We have gold, copper, and lithium assays pending um, from Patriot Battery Metals for, for, for that project up north. We have Hannon, which, you know, won't be drilling until, until Q2 of this year. But again, I think that's going to be a, a, a company making drill program. And, you know, in, in an odd kind of way, COVID and, and the delays with the assay labs and permitting in Peru actually i think is gonna turn out to be very very beneficial to shareholders for the simple fact that they were able to do so much more quality field work identifying targets and narrowing down trends and and, and being able to prioritize because when you have an entire basin that's prospective for copper gold and silver it can get really expensive really quickly to go and try all of the targets without maybe doing you know the proper field work i'm glad they had the time to get that done uh, Michael Hudson and his team are amongst the best. It's not a coincidence that they keep making discovery after discovery and growing those discoveries. And yeah, I, I, I think 2022, you know me, I'm mostly resource specific unless you tell me to go do something that I, I, I go write a check and then I just check and it, you know, goes higher. So mm-hmm. other than that, uh, no, I'm, I'm excited for the resource space. I'm excited for the psychedelic space. We have, you know, a company that we wrote a check for like 17 years ago that <laughs> hasn't gone public yet and has been halted for a while. So I'm hoping to get some sort of resolution there because I think there's a lot of potential in that space as well. Um, and no, just all around, I feel great about 2022. I'm looking forward to gold breaking out. And again, you know, jingling all the way, baby. Jingling all the way. Well, it looks like we got ourselves a title, even though it's January. We'll keep the Christmas theme going. Love it. Anything else to get off your chest there? No, that's it. That's it. Welcome to 2022, everybody. I am Gerardo Del Real, along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. This was episode 151 of our therapy session we call Bizarro World. Be safe out there, everybody. It means we've almost been doing it three years. See ya.